Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to She Said, She Said. This week, we're launching the first in a special series of conversations in collaboration with the Southern Cooterie. Southern Sea, as the group is otherwise known, is a collaborative network of mostly female creative founders and entrepreneurs. These women embody both a certain Southern aesthetic coupled with a tremendous business savvy and a deep understanding that nice is not the opposite of tough. It's a topic that actually runs through our conversation this week. The Southern Sea has just hosted its annual summit for 2022, and she said, she said, media and podcast were thrilled to be the official podcast sponsor this year. I've included a link in the show notes for this episode where you can learn a bit more about the Southern Sea and their annual gathering each year, which is held in beautiful Sea Island, Georgia. This event, which I was delighted to attend in person this year, is filled with boundless energy, tremendous business advice, creative inspiration, and opportunities to network and build connections with amazing women who are having a powerful impact. The experience can truly be defined as fuel for the soul. That was true for me, and it was true for every woman that I talked to there. And like she said, she said podcast, the Southern Sea and the Southern Sea Summit are wonderful investments that you can make in yourself to have a bigger impact in your career, in your business, and in your life. Indeed, in all the areas that are important to you. This week, I'm kicking off the first in our series of special conversations that reinforce the theme of this year's Southern Sea Summit, to bloom, to grow, and to evolve, all terms that we are well familiar with here at She Said, She Said podcast. I am joined today by the incredibly talented, hilariously funny, Texas-born fashion designer, Leela Rose. Leela debuted her signature collection in 1998, followed by the launch of Leela Rose Bridal in 2006. Her newest venture, Pearl by Leela Rose, launched in 2018. I have personally been a proud customer of Leela's for many, many years, and I was really excited to get to know her a bit better in this conversation. I think you'll enjoy it as well. 
When you put on one of Leela's beautiful designs, you immediately feel the fun and femininity and grace and elegance that embodies the spirit of her brand. Leela and I talk about her journey, how she launched her fashion brand when she was only in her late 20s, some of the attributes that have contributed to her success, including not graduating at the top of her class, academically speaking, and also what sparked her entrepreneurial spirit at a really early age. But friend, there are two specific themes that I want to draw your attention to in my conversation with Leela. First, the importance of staying true to yourself while still allowing room for growth and evolution. Now, this is important whether we're talking about your clothes, your business, or your personal brand. Leela speaks so candidly and so authentically about how she thinks about this topic, and I think you're going to love her perspective. Second, we talk about the power of nice. Now, nice gets an unfair reputation for being the most boring of adjectives, but in reality, nice may be one of the easiest things to do to build and sustain influence. To be clear, I'm not saying weak and neither is Leela in our conversation. Rather, it's the power of treating others well and expecting nice in return. It can make such a big, big difference and is at least one of the secrets to her success as she explains in this conversation. Now, before we jump into the conversation with Leela, I want to say a very special thank you to you for joining me here each week and for helping us land in the top 200 of all career podcasts in the US as well as in various geographies around the world. So thank you. I am truly, truly grateful. And if you're new to She Said, She Said podcast or you're just joining us for the first time, Welcome. I'm so excited you're here and I hope you'll stick around. We have lots of great content and conversation here on She Said, She Said podcast, and it's created just for you as an easy investment that you can make in yourself to help you build and sustain influence needed to get what you want from your life. And now my conversation with the amazing Leela Rose. Leela, welcome to She Said, She Said. Well, thank you so much, Laura. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you. I so enjoyed meeting you at the Southern Sea recently. It was really, really great. And I'm delighted that we could spend a little bit of time together and share your perspective with our wider audience. Well, I loved getting to meet you too. And it was such a great group of women and so much fun to get to be there and kind of get to meet everyone. And so I am excited to get to do this today as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's start, if we can, from the beginning and talk about how you got your start. You have built this incredible fashion brand, but I'd love for you to take us back to the beginning and talk about how you got started. Ooh, hmm, I don't know how far back you want to go. Um, but <laughs> so I was never a good student. I was frankly a terrible student and kind of always knew that I was going into, I was going to go into something creative because I was a complete failure at anything academic. 
Um, and when I say I was a complete failure, my dad's favorite cocktail party joke was that I was third in my class, which I was, <laughs> and that is truthful, from the bottom. Um, that is where I graduated high school, was third from the bottom. And I wear it as a badge of honor. <laughs> it does not seem to have held you back. No, it didn't. Um, you know, I, I certainly wasn't trying all that hard. Uh, but, you know, I, academics were just not my thing. And I was always very creative. And I was also very entrepreneurial. And I was always starting businesses. Really, even in high school, I was starting businesses. I mean, you know. I wasn't just doing the lemonade sale. I was kind of doing all of these different hand-painted t-shirts and tennis shoes. I mean, it sounds so silly today, but, you know, those were the things that really kind of got me started and kind of got me into learning how to start businesses and how to sell to people and how to kind of talk to you know, reach out to people and kind of cold call. And then when I was in college, I really did kind of start what I would say was kind of the beginning of what really got me into fashion. I started this business where I was making these, I was going around to vintage stores kind of around the country. Um, anywhere I would travel, I would go to these vintage stores and I was buying these scarves from the forties and fifties. And they were like, you know, scarves of, Florida and Texas. And they were all these very funny pieces. And I would kind of piece them together. And I was making these one of a kind vests, you know, um, someone once was like, oh my gosh, how chic a gilet. And I was like, no, they were vests. <laughs> I'm not so sure that they were that chic. I think that they were chic now, you know, back then, but now I'm like, oh, I hope these do not show up anywhere. But, um, you know, I sold them to Fred Siegel in L.A. I sold them to the local store in Boulder, Colorado. I was at school in, uh, you know, University of Colorado. I sold them in, at a store in Dallas, which was where I was from. You know, I had them in probably like six, seven stores kind of across the country. And I had this little business in college. And I was like, I think fashion's super cool. <laughs> and that's, that's what kind of really turned me on into wanting to go into fashion. So then I moved up to New York and went to Parsons um, and got a fashion design degree after graduating from college. So it was an associate's degree from Parsons um, and interned that entire time for different designers um, which I think really taught me so much doing my own business. Mm -hmm. You know, I also had like a custom business going on while I was interning and while I was in school. Um, what was the custom business? I was just making custom pieces for people. And uh -huh. basically I was like a seamstress, you know, and they would say, you know, I was a seamstress who had some design ability and a sense of style and, you know, Frankly, I was the worst seamstress, but probably had more style and design ability <laughs> and less skill as a seamstress. I would make pieces for people that worked at Hearst and at, you know, the different magazine houses and, and Condé Nast that needed clothes. And I would be like, oh, okay, I can design and make clothes. And so it kind of got me an entree into doing things. And, um, 
then I was just working for designers and um, then kind of thought, well, I can go start my own business. They did. And so I can too. And so I did. And I was frankly way too young. I had really only had like two jobs. I'd had three, but really two that I kind of say that I learned that I stayed at for, you know, Richard Tyler was one of them that I was there for about three and a half, four years. Um, you know, and now whenever I talk to people about kind of like getting a job or starting your own business, I'm like, you know what, stay there longer because mm -hmm. you will learn so much about how to start your own company, how to, you know, create your own brand, but you will learn you will learn so much and you will make mistakes, but on their dime and not yeah. on your own, which yeah. I probably went out there a little too headstrong and a little too early. And yes, it worked out for me, but I think I could have stayed working for others longer and learned more. Yeah. Um, was there, was there any sort of specific thing as you look back on the experience and starting maybe a little earlier than you might advise somebody to do, was there one thing in particular that you can think of that you didn't have that you really needed when you launched? Yeah, there were definitely categories that I hadn't necessarily, like I really knew nothing about knits when I launched my own business. And so we really had no knits for years into the business. Um, and I think that that's something that had I stayed working for someone else longer, mm -hmm. you know, I would have learned more about that category. Um, or maybe I would have, should have gone and worked for someone else that had a bigger knit program. Um, you know, knits are such an important part of our business today. I also just think the longer you work, the more connections you make and, mm -hmm. you know, connections are something that. And I don't mean seriously top level connections. I really even mean just, you know, when you're working, a lot of the junior people are those people that just kind of are climbing up that corporate ladder and they're, they're turning into the buyers that you're working with and the people that are really going to be decision makers or the people that are doing the grunt work. And so the more that you are, kind of in with them, I think it makes kind of charting your own path a little bit easier. And I feel like, you know, I started my own business at 29 and wow. that's young. And so it didn't give me a really long time to be kind of working in the corporate or in the, you know, more business world and making a whole lot of really good connections. And I think had I done that, it might have been a little bit of an easier path. I'm sure you had a lot of mentors and a lot of advice. Uh, were, was there anyone in particular or several people, perhaps, in particular, who were super helpful to you when you first got your start? And this was back, you launched your first line in 1998? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, most of the advice was don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> And how did they respond when you said, well, thanks very much, but I'm going to do it anyway? Um, you know, I think, I think that's just, you know, that's young and headstrong. And that's what, it's what I kind of tell people today too, you know, yeah. and 
I frankly kind of appreciate that advice too. And I think unless you really, you know, we talked a lot about this at the Southern Summit is perseverance and knowing that you have to get up every single day and keep going and keep going and keep going. And it's not even just a daily slog. It's like an hour, hour, hour. It, you know, it's not like, oh, one day is just so fabulous and the next <laughs> is crumbling. It's kind of like an hour can be terrible and yeah. the next hour can be terrible and one hour can be great. But then the next seven are like, oh, golly, I thought the day was going so well because I had a good hour. But, you know, um, I think perseverance, if you really aren't going to be dedicated to just, all right, I'm going to get up and do this and keep doing it and keep doing it. And despite the no's, and I look back in hindsight, and I do think I would have benefited from staying longer working for others. I still look back at the same time and think, you know, I don't think I could do what I did today. Mm. I don't think I could be the age that I am. I don't think I could, I don't want to take that kind of rejection. I don't, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. Um, and I think that there's a certain amount of resilience when you're younger. And I think you just kind of expect that you're going to get a little bit of that beat up and just mm -hmm. kind of have to plot along. So, you know, I, I do look at people and I'm like, you know, be very careful what you're doing here. And if you're not really going to just pound the pavement day in, day out, year after year after year, be very careful. Yeah. It's so interesting. This has come up so many times on this podcast, especially with women that are our contemporaries who say their appetite for those big risks like that, that they took early on in their career, it just changes. It's not that they don't still take risks. It's just that the appetite for yeah. how much they're willing to endure. I think you said it so beautifully just then because that's really the thing. It's like, I don't wanna do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're making a conscious choice. It's not because you're so afraid. You just don't have the appetite for no. it. In, in the same way that you did in maybe your 20s and 30s. And so it's a, it's a fascinating data point, which I think brings us to this point of evolution and growth and continuing to challenge yourself and to take smart risk, maybe different risks than you took in your 20s and 30s. But let's talk a bit about how you especially in your world where fashion is something that, you know, there's a trend every minute, it feels like. And how do you build a brand so that you're continuing to evolve subtly and keep it modern and up to date, but you're not necessarily pivoting dramatically in all these different directions? Talk about how you stay true to yourself, but still challenge yourself. Well, so I also think that that comes with age. Like, and I think that part of that, like this trend every minute, when you're younger, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, there's this trend every minute and how do I stay relevant? And when you're older and more established and you're like, I don't really care if there's a trend every minute, like <laughs> we've developed a customer and our customer 
if she doesn't like what we do, you know, I, I now know, and I have learned this time and time and time again, but in the beginning, we tried to be a lot of things to a lot of people. And now I'm like, we're not going to be everything to everyone and we can't be. And that's, that's just the fact of life. So we are who we are and we are going to be the best that we can be of who we are. And we are going to offer the best product that we can of who we are, but we are going to stay true to that, like for sure. And I believe in who we are and we have a customer who believes in who we are and that's great. And we are so lucky that we have that, but we're not trying to be something else. And so I don't really care what the trends are. The trends can come and go. The trends can be whatever, but we're not trying to be that. We're trying to, we are trying to deliver on something beautiful that is going to make our customer happy. And that's what we try to do yeah. every single season. And of course that means doing something new and fresh and modern, but frankly, that's what makes me happy. And that's what makes the design team happy. That's what makes us all happy. I mean, like none of us are really happy, just kind of like, oh, okay, let's recolor that in black. Like that's not fun <laughs> for, you know, any creative person is like, that's boring. Um, you know, so we're always looking of ways to keep it moving forward and keep our creativity moving forward and making something new and special and different, but totally within our language of what we do. But we are, frankly, I don't really care what's going on in terms of trends. And, you know, people used to talk about hemlines. I'm like, I haven't talked about a hemline in 10 years and do not care. <laughs> And frankly, I don't think women should care what the trends are. I feel like women should wear what they look and feel good in. And that's the best trend you can ever be is wear things that you feel great about, because that is when you're going to look and feel your best. Yeah, not, not, not everybody should be wearing hot pants or mom jeans. Let's face it, ladies. It's just not a thing yeah. for everyone. And I love a pair of shorts. I love them, but I, I just really don't look that good in them anymore. And I, we, we still sell them, but I just have aged out where I just am like, just can't do it. You know, <laughs> they don't work for everyone. And sadly they don't work for me anymore. <laughs> right, Leila, let's talk about advice that you have for really becoming laser focused on your customer. How do you find her? How have you and your team really zeroed in on exactly who she is? You know, I don't know that I, I'm never going to say, okay, we know exactly who she is and she never changes. And because that's not true. I think that our customer evolves and I think that, you know, your brand evolves and that's fun and that's what keeps it exciting. But I think that, you know, we've, we have always really put a lot of importance on working with the stores that we sell to and working with the clients that come into those stores, be it a specialty store or a large retailer or our own boutique or online. We are constantly trying to find out like, okay, where is she going? What does she want this for? 
Um, what is she interested in? You know, we just love to hear feedback. We love to hear from the sales associates, like, where are they buying this? Where, where are they going? What are they buying this for? Um, did she like it? What was her response? Like, you know, when something doesn't work is actually way more telling than when it does work. Mm. And I think that that's when we learn the most. And we are, we're probably more in contact with our sales associates than more than most brands. Um, just because we care so much about hearing what is the feedback. Um, because we really love hearing that because I think it just makes us better designers. I will also say, and I think, you know, I've always really said that, you know, and this is no knock on male designers, but I really think that women designers understand a woman and understand what do women want and what do women need and what is comfortable. And mm -hmm. I mean, I am the customer of our, of our brand and not the wedding collection, obviously, because I'm a little old for that and have been married for 23 years. But, um, you know, I, I wear our clothing all the time. I know what I want in terms of comfort. I know that I don't want my bra to keep falling down. I want the little hanger, you know, I want the little hooks that hold my bra in. I, I want these specific things that really make a difference in terms of comfort. And it's not an exaggerated sense of what makes a woman look good. It's an actual sense of, okay, you know, if it's too low, then you're going to see my bra in the back. And what do I really want showing? And where do most of us kind of hold our less attractive parts and <laughs> I want to eat my lunch. And, you know, <laughs> there's just so many things that I think as real women, we right. really understand. And then we really can then design into that. Mm -hmm. And I think that women have really always understood that. And I think sometimes men have this like very exaggerated version of a woman. And so their woman is like, <laughs> and, you know, she's got this like, great chest and these great hips and these perfect legs. And you're like, mm, yeah, she's not eating her lunch <laughs> or she's not allowed to eat her lunch in that dress because right. you can hide a thing in there. And I'm not so sure how comfortable that's going to be. And, you know, I think that um, female designers really do understand a, what a woman's needs are and how she wants to wear pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And what's going to make her feel good about herself when she's wearing it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about the evolution in retail since you launched in 1998. There's been just, I mean, everything's changed, right? Technology yeah. has changed everything. Social media has changed everything. COVID more recently has changed so many things about the retail landscape. Maybe talk about some of the things that you have learned and maybe the way in which you connect differently with your customer, given these additional tools or just additional challenges, depending upon how you look at them. Yeah. I mean, it is such a different landscape. Um, you know, and I was laughing about this at, you know, the summit, how when I started out in business, I'm not even sure I had a cell phone back then. 
Uh, I think I must have, but if I did, it was like a Blackberry. You had a Blackberry, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you did not have Google. You did not have any of this. So it's just such a completely different landscape. And when I was building my business, it was definitely in the model of how did you build a brand? And, you know, there was definitely kind of like, okay, this is how you build a brand and this is how you start and you get into these kind of stores and then you build from here. And, you know, it's so interesting today because I think that the barrier to entry for being an entrepreneur and starting a business is just so radically different. Like you can start an Instagram and, you know, your marketing is just, marketing back then was only through, a $250,000 marketing campaign with magazines. Like, right. and I'm talking back in 1998, a $250,000 marketing campaign. Like that was a ton of money. Um, and just the barrier to entry is so different. And it's really exciting to see because there's so many more tools and so many things that you can use. But at the same time, like it's so you kind of don't know like what platform do you use? And now I have to be a great photographer and social media person and do my own copy and be witty and look good all the time. And you're like, holy, I thought I was a designer. <laughs> I didn't know I had to be all these things. Um, you know, it's just, it's such a funny it's such a funny world. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really kind of exciting and fun. And it's so many different ways to kind of communicate your story and what you like. And I think it it allows for like, you know, I, I love to talk about how we are really this entertaining lifestyle brand. And I think sometimes people don't really know what I'm talking about, but I love to entertain. I love to cook. I love cocktails. I love to talk about how do you match your drink to your dress and your dress to your table. We have another book that's coming out that's all about, you know, our first book was Preda Party. It was about how to match your drink to your dress and your dress to your table. We've got a book coming out uh, in March of 23 that's the outdoor version of this, which is so much fun. And we're going to be doing a lot of like tabletop that goes along with this and, you know, I love these things. And I've always said our clothing is really about having a calendar filled with events and it's all about, you know, connecting all of this. So I think actually all of these different tools allow for you to tell this story in a different way. And it's no longer just about like, okay, you've got a tea stand within a department store and how do you make oven mitts that actually match the collection that anyone, <laughs> you know, people are like, wait, oven mitts that are on the tea stand. What? <laughs> it makes no sense. So, you know, it is actually really fun that you can do all these things now and somehow, I don't know, maybe you can make sense of it. Maybe you can't. I still have no clue, but <laughs> Well, I'm very excited about your second book. I loved your first book. 
Um, so you'll have to come back and talk about the second one once it's out next year. That's very yeah, exciting. It's and it's so and much fun. And it's perfect. I mean, you might have written the same book anyway, but it is certainly well-timed given the fact that we are dining outdoors, including on, you know, in chillier weather than we might have been inclined to right. do otherwise, which is exciting. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'd love to go back for a second. Um, something that you said early on as you were talking about uh, sort of the early days of your journey and not being a great student and, and your parents teasing you a bit, but maybe talk about how they responded and how they supported you and your dreams in a way that didn't make you feel bad about yourself, but instead helped you really fly and flourish. Because I think sometimes as parents, and I know you have children, so do I, Sometimes if they don't fit a mold, it can be like, okay, let's see, what what, what do we do here to help him or her really be their best and really right. help them find the thing that makes them special? Not the thing we thought they were going to have, but the thing that they actually have. Right. How did your parents really help support your dreams and the person, the sort of your gifts and talents in that special way? So, you know, I so clearly did not fit that academic mold. I mean, I was just a complete like math and science failure. And I mean, I could have tried harder and maybe been like a middling student, but I just, I didn't have any passion for it. And I think you could see that I had passion for, I loved anything creative and I loved creating things with my hands. And my mother is very creative. Um, and also academic, like she really could blend the two. And frankly, I would say my father, who has since passed away, he passed away about six years ago, very, very intelligent, but also creative in his own way, but in, mm -hmm. in a totally different way than an arts type of creativity, but always entrepreneurial. And I think that both of my parents really supported my entrepreneurialism from kind of a young age. And they saw that I really actually loved kind of like thinking about, okay, how do I start something? And then if I do like, you know, sometimes they would be a little bit too much like, all right, we'll make a whole spreadsheet and do this and do that. And I'd be like, Oh, I hate spreadsheets. Like, <laughs> you know, now you're making this not fun, but you know, helping me like, okay, well let's sit down and work on the costs and, I'll help you figure out who to call. And they would, they were really supportive with like, even like small, funny little businesses, they would really help me try to kind of get started. And, you know, it's something that um, I was a total failure with trying to do this with my kids, because I was always trying to get my kids to start businesses <laughs> to, the, to the point where I'd be like, um, and I did get my son to start several businesses, but he'd be like, mom, I have homework. And I'd be like, what is more important, your homework or your business? And he'd be like, uh, my homework. And I'd be like, wrong, your business. <laughs> um, so, and he'd be like, really? And I'd be like, yes. <laughs> Life skills. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but you know, kids never want to do whatever their parents, you know, are kind of pushing them to do. And I think obviously I, I was trying to be like, start a business, 
let's be entrepreneurial. Don't work for the man. Figure out your own, you know, course. And my son definitely, he started probably like three to four businesses in high school, or, you know, leading up through high school. My daughter started like less, less commitment to it. She's definitely the one who's like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything like my mom. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I always, it was just something that just gave me so much joy and not even joy. It gave me confidence. Yeah. Gave me confidence when I probably wouldn't have had any because I was such a bad student. And this allowed me to be like, okay, you know what? I suck at school, but who else is starting their own business and who else has got this going on? And, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. I was always well, like, you, you know, you're tapping into your superpower, if you will. I mean, to use yeah. the sort of cliche, I mean, you're tapping into something that comes very naturally to you that speaks to your soul. And when you tap into that, that's where all the magic really happens, right? Yeah. You know, you're doing that thing that you love that lights you up inside and yeah. it makes all the difference in the world. And when you can help your kids find that too, you know, know. it really is incredible. It's just very challenging. Yeah, my kids <laughs> just have not ever listened to me. So you now here we are. <laughs> At least they do fine in school. <laughs> Let's talk about, since it's still early in the new year, I'd love for you to talk about any personal habits that you use or employ that help you stay focused on your goals for the new year, or you a resolution person, or do you pick a word of the year? What kind of processes or tactics do you employ that uh, might be helpful to somebody else? That's something I would say I have never, something that I kind of have regretted not doing more of. I do think it's really important to kind of like write your goals down, write what you want to achieve down. And then when you hit them, take a moment to say, job well done, pat Mm -hmm. yourself on the back and acknowledge that you hit them because I think it's very easy to just kind of like hit that, keep going and say, Oh, I'm still not where I want to be. And, you know, kind of beat yourself up because you're still not the next, what have you, it's never enough. It's never enough. And I think that when you do write those goals down and then say, okay, you know what? We hit that on March 1st. Dang. And it wasn't even like it was three months into the year. That was fabulous. Um, it's a it's a time to really kind of say, great job. I mean, it's not a time to say, okay, now let's rest on our laurels. But, you know, great job. Now let's set the next one. And I think it's, those are great markers. It's something that I have failed to do time and time and time again. And I always talk about like, wow, we really should have done that. And I just never do it. And I really, I feel like now it's just way too late. Like why start now? (laughs) Well, one of the things that I've heard you talk about that I thought was such great advice, and you shared this at the Southern Sea Summit recently, 
And you talked about the importance of prioritizing without guilt. Maybe yeah. talk a little bit about your, you are, you are just completely without any remorse. You set a priority and you go for it and you don't look back. Talk, talk about that because you shared a couple of great examples. I do think that when we set our goals, like, you know, I was, I, one thing I said at the Southern Sea, which I think it came up time and time again with everyone is I had said to everyone, one thing that I have really recognized and I, I'm totally proud to say it is I don't do anything that I don't like doing. And that's something that I, it's come somewhat with age. And in the beginning of my career, I definitely had to do a lot of jobs that I did not like doing because we didn't have the money and someone had to do them. And that meant me. But I think there's just a lot of pressure on a lot of women. When you're running a business, you also feel like when you're at home, you have to be the one who is managing all the home tasks and all of that stuff. And I'm like, no. Well, why? Why is that your job? <laughs> and, you know, figure out a way to either split that with your spouse if you have one or outsource it. Like, don't put this guilt on you that you have to be this amazing mother who goes, does PTA. If you hate PTA, why are you going to PTA? You shouldn't be. And you shouldn't put this guilt trip on yourself that, okay, well, I'm less of a mother if I don't go do this, because that's just not true, not true at all. And I think that prioritize quality over quantity. Love and that. by quality, I, that's kind of where I'm talking about, like, prioritize the things that you're good at, because we all know that we do it. Like, I'm a good cook. I've cooked my entire life. I make dinner. I, I love making dinner. I love cooking. So guess what? That's one of the things I do at home. It's not because I feel like I have to. I don't do any of the dishes. None. They sit in the sink and I either wait for the housekeeper to come or I'm like, one of my kids are doing the dishes. Right. I don't do the dishes. Not going to. I don't do the laundry. Never going to. Not doing it. Like, does that make me a less mom? Absolutely not. Why should I do the laundry? <laughs> like going to outsource that. Why should I go to the PTA? If I think it sucks and it's a suck on my, it's a drain on my time. Why am I going to go do that? Like do the things that are quality. There is no point in just putting in all this quantity of time that you hate because Who's getting anything good about it? You're just grumpy. You're in a bad mood. You're not nice to anyone. You're just like, Row. but do the stuff that's quality and, yeah. you know, I love throw that. that other stuff out. I love that. I love that. Okay. Just, a, just a couple more questions. I'd love for you to talk about, um, you know, because we are both, we're both from Texas, but I think we both kind of consider that to be quasi the South. Yes. And I think Southern women have a reputation for being nice. And I'd love for you to address how you strike that balance between nice and tough, because I know you know plenty of strong, tough 
nice women, but talk about how you get that balance right, that you can be nice and also be tough and strong at the same time. It is funny because when I first moved to New York, everyone was like, oh, you're from the South. You, you know, you're going to be kind of this pushover and, you know, you do always like, you know, I love to laugh and smile and, um, but I don't, I don't think Southern women are pushovers at all. One thing I'm so proud of our company for being, I think that we are really thought of in the industry as being extremely nice. We do what we say we're going to do, but we're not rolling over and, you know, just giving the world at, you know, a detriment to our business at all. Like we're business people that do what's right by our company, but also what's right by the customer, because that's ultimately, that's how you run a business. And I think that that's how you, that's how the world goes around. It's not a zero sum game. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, when you approach things as how do I, how do I give my customer the best product that they can get and offer a fair price that, that, you know, gives that allows us to make a profit, run a business, create this product, but treat them in the best possible way. Like that's, that's a win-win. And I think we're always trying to create a win-win situation. And I think that people appreciate that and that, you know, we will always do what we say we're going to do. And we're always going to be nice about it, but we're also just not going to, you know, don't try to take advantage of us because we're not okay with that either. Um, and we'll just, we'll tell you if we feel like that's the situation, we'll be like, oh my gosh, so funny. Feel like that's what you're doing. <laughs> and we'll laugh and smile about it, but no, not okay. And I think, I think being nice goes a long way. And it does, you know, I think, I think a lot of times people think that nice means that you can be a pushover. And I think, frankly, sometimes it's to your advantage, that niceness, because they think, oh, I can get something over on them. And you're like, hmm, wow. <laughs> and then you kind of surprise them with the like, huh, wow, that was, that was a good one you tried. <laughs> I love that. I love that because for, for so many reasons, but also because it fits into our whole, our series of conversations around how we build and sustain influence, how you build influence with another person oftentimes is how you forge that relationship with that other person. And by being nice, not being a pushover, but by being nice, somebody that people want to work with, being polite, doing what you say you're going to do, yeah. it really is um, core to that, to that whole notion of how you build a relationship with someone, whoever that person may be, whether it's a neighbor or a business colleague. Yeah. Um, so I love how you said that. Okay, I know I need to let you go. I'd love for you to leave us with maybe a single piece of advice or a life hack or a mantra. Maybe it's something that you wish you had known when you were just getting started. What would that be? Well, you know, my mom's favorite quote, and I don't even know who it's by, but she talking about what we were just talking about. And it for the longest time, I was always like, eh. 
what? It was be nice, be nice, be nice. And it's not a mantra, but I cannot tell you how many times, and we were just talking about this in my career, the fact that we are nice people that you can count on. I cannot tell you how many times that has paid off just because when times get tough, maybe you don't like our product the best. I don't know. When things are goth and everything's hard edged and it's all black and leather and what have you, we're not. And maybe you don't necessarily want to put that much money into it, but you're still going to buy our product because you know what you're going to get with us and you know what kind of business we're going to give you. And I also think it's really helped like build a core group of employees that have stuck around for a long time that are great and really have kind of like a family atmosphere within our company. And I think it's really enriched my career in terms of not just the the people that we deal with, but in terms of like my happiness of like, I work with some great people that I love working with that I've worked with for years. And it really has made like, I have a lot of fun. I yeah. really enjoy going to work every day. I really enjoy the people I work with. And I think that a lot of that just comes from, we have a culture of people that enjoy coming to work. We have a very nice atmosphere. There's not a lot of, you know, fighting and there's no yelling. And it's kind of like, okay, we're all trying to just do the best job we can and make it fun and have a good time. And, you know, we spend a lot of time at work mm -hmm. and to have something like that. And I look back, you know, 22 years later and think, that's been fun. I kind of look back at that, at those three phrases of be nice, be nice, be nice. And I think it's really paid off. Yeah. I love that. It's the perfect place to end. That's really, really <laughs> beautiful. I loved it. Loved our time together. Thank you so much, Leela. Well, thank you, Laura. Thanks for doing this. I loved it. Friend, thanks so much for joining us today. I so loved Leela's perspective on the importance of challenging ourselves, of growing and evolving, while at the same time, staying true to our brand and who we are. I also loved her perspective on prioritization, and I know you did as well. And as we celebrate Valentine's Day this week, I also love her perspective on nice. It may be one of the least appreciated, but perhaps most needed adjectives that we have in our arsenal. And it's also a great way to show some additional love to each other this Valentine's week. As I mentioned in the open, this is the first in a series of conversations that I'm launching in collaboration with the Southern Cooterie. You can learn more about that amazing organization and how it can further light your creative fire and help you launch your idea or business into the world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to let me know. You can contact me via our website at shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. And you can also leave us a review on any of the podcast platforms. And I would be so grateful if you did. 
For more great content, please be sure to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You'll find me at Laura Cox Kaplan. Thanks again for listening. Take care, and I'll see you next week. She Said, She Said podcast is a production of She Said, She Said Media.